My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be a spy. My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a person who was bad at Excel. And this is Burn Noticed, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, wait until the end where we'll explain them. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan or anyone involved in Burn Notice, especially Steven Sergic, because I want to congratulate him on the last, the first two episodes of the season two of The Witcher, <laughs> get in touch. We accept, you can send us suggestions, questions, compliments, and no criticism of any kind to our Burn Notice podcast at gmail.com or to our wiki at at, to our wiki. <laughs> yeah, our <laughs> or to, wiki. Or to, our, to the Burn Notice wiki. Or to our Twitter, at Burn Notice Pod. And that's, as always, that is Burn Notice with a D, because that is the name of our show. I went to check. Apparently, we weren't following Steven Sergic before, but we are now. And he doesn't even mention Burn Notice in his bio. He's a director of shows like The Witcher, Defenders, Jessica Jones, Punisher, Umbrella Academy 1 and 2, Lost in Space, and the new Apple TV series, C. I, no, I will say, like, I independently was watching the first two episodes of season two, the first episode of season two of The Witcher, which is great, mm-hmm. and I was specifically looking at how well directed it was. I was like, this is shot so well. Who directed this? And I got to the end, and it was Steven Sergic of Burn Notice fame. We, I was, I, we independently noticed this, and then I texted Chris, and she was like, I know, she, he did such a good job. So yeah, good for Steven real, Sergic. Like, He's doing a really good Peter Jackson impression. Yeah. Kudos to you, Stephen Sergic. Kudos to you indeed, my friend. He's not on this episode. We just, it, we just wanted, we forgot to talk about him last week. So yeah, wanted to, wanted to mention it. Yeah, but really, I don't like that you're, you're Stephen surjerking my, my, my spotlight. Because what I want to talk about is Excel spreadsheets. So now you would say that you would Excel at Excel? I don't know if I would excel at Excel, but I excel at Googling Excel and understanding what I have Googled. You know Got what it. I mean? Yeah. Because there's like, there's a point in new skills where you're like, I just don't even know what to Google to right. know what the fuck is happening. Now I can largely read Excel Google results, yes. which is helpful. So You understand some of the basic underlying mechanics and what things are supposed to happen. Exactly. And it has been very fun because for a lot of reasons, because I, I have to maintain spreadsheets for a number of projects, including this one. As you all probably know, because I've taken screenshots of our spreadsheet before, we have a master spreadsheet of our burn noticed rankings so that by the end of the series, we can like look at what the series looks like from our scientific rating system. But it has all been manual so far, and that is not a great system, especially for, like, collating results. Mm -hmm. So, like, it's one thing for me to be able to count, like, how many great episodes of television there were per season, Mm -hmm. but, like, being able to go as granular as, like, how many great episodes has Michael Horowitz written without having to just, like, look through my spreadsheet, it was all very manual. But I have recently discovered the count-ifs option, Uh, which allows me to use two different conditions and ranges to determine if something should get counted or not. Oh. So I have managed to now make a spreadsheet, uh, a secondary spreadsheet from our primary like data entry one that uses the data that we insert and dynamically updates. So now from here on out, anytime I put a check mark in, this is a great episode, this is not a great episode, it automatically tells me the results. So like last week, you heard me tell Chris, 
this, that that was Ben Watkins' first great episode of television. And I knew that because I went to my now dynamically updating spreadsheet and it updated it. As soon as I put a check mark there, it updated Ben Watkins' great episode count to one. Look at, look at this. Look at the... There's... Bree is pointing to all of the like code mm-hmm. or whatever the, that the is formula. involved, the formulas, all of the data and everything. And it's all very math and it's not even yeah. math. It's just like understanding what it means by like range and criterion no, and stuff. Of but anyway, so I wanted to share a couple of the things. So yogurt usage, I need to think about that one a little bit more. Um, but uh, Matt Nix has written a total of 19 episodes so far. 14 yogurts have appeared in his episodes. 12 of his episodes were great, ep- great episodes of Burn Notice. 17 were an episode of television and two were great episodes of Burn Notice. So, or great episodes of television. Right. So Matt Nix officially has two great episodes of television, um, which is not bad. Not bad. Especially really. given how long it took him to get those. Exactly. Um, so that means that 10.53% of his episodes are great episodes of television. Yeah. I, a lot of people have two, I'm seeing. Uh, yeah, two seems to be a common number. Uh, two seems to be more standard than one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you either have none or you have two. Or you're Michael Horowitz. Who has four. four. Yeah, so Michael Horowitz has the highest number of great episodes of television total. However, his percentage is actually lower because he's written more episodes. That so happens. like, So he's written the third most episodes so far of um, what we've watched. Uh, he's written nine total episodes, whereas Alfredo Barrios Jr. has only written seven, which was surprising. I guess we're in the middle of a season, so it's more like so far. Yeah, I think, so far. I think maybe towards the end, Alfredo will have written more. But yeah, so so our, our frenemy of the pod, uh, Michael Horowitz, has written five episodes of television that are just that, episodes of television. He's written four great episodes of television, and eight of those have been great episodes of Burn Notice, which is a pretty good ratio, because it means nine, uh, eight out of nine of his total episodes are um, great episodes of Burn Notice. So Michael Horowitz clearly understands the criterion of a great Burn Notice episode. And also can transcend it. And can transcend it, which is pretty impressive. Some other notable things are that... Craig O'Neill, which we sort of already knew, is doing better than Jason Tracy. Um, Craig O'Neill has written five total episodes on his own, where Jason Tracy has written eight. However, of those eight episodes, Jason Tracy has only written one great episode of television, whereas Craig O'Neill has written two for his five. Craig O'Neill's percentage great is 40. So 40% of Craig O'Neill's solo episode or great great episodes of television were only 12.5 episodes of Jason Tracy's are. I'm realizing that and I'm someone who has, at various points of my life, maintained spreadsheets. Mm-hmm. I'm realizing that talking about your spreadsheets is a lot like talking about your dreams. Mm-hmm. In that it's super interesting all the time. Yeah. So Matt Nix, I think just by volume of episodes, has included the most yogurts in his episodes. Like gross yogurts, like yogurts per capita, like total number of yogurts. <laughs> yeah, total number of yogurts. Uh, yeah. There are 14 that appear in Matt Nix's episodes. Number two surprised me actually, and it's Michael Horowitz, but I, I was looking through the spreadsheet and I realized this is skewed because one of his episodes was the Jason Bly episode where he get, got the um, exactly the pack of four or something. Yes, it's exactly. So like we're not accounting for numbers of yogurts in episodes. Yeah, because that, that I don't know how to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but number three is Alfredo Barrios Jr. So it's clear clear that like the hot like the people who for whom burn notice is like a thing like people who are higher up in the burn notice chain Mm -hmm. i've put more yogurts in yeah 
There is a direct correlation. Yeah, Jason Tracy and Ben Watkins both have eight. Then the combined Craig O'Neill, Jason Tracy episodes had seven in them. But Craig O'Neill on his own doesn't actually include them very often. He only has five. Or no, he only has two in his five episodes. And then our, our one hit wonders we've had so far. Jason Ning has a hundred percent great Jason Ning and Nick Thiel both have a hundred percent great episodes because they only wrote one episode and they both happen to be great episodes of television. So that works out for them. <laughs> Their stats got out great. And I'm curious for both of those those writers why we didn't get to see more of them since they seem like such great additions to the staff. Maybe they got hired. Well I, I think Peter Nick Thiel was probably right about to um, make white collar. That makes sense. So he was probably like, this was probably his last job before he successfully pitched White Collar. Oh, 100%. Is what I assume. Yeah. I don't know what Jason Ning's up to. But yeah, I just, I like having this data now so we can see it and we can look through it and we can draw silly conclusions. All and right. it's automatic. I'm just very excited that for once, something about Burn Notice can be automatic instead of manual. I'm just so excited. What episode are we talking about this week, Chris? All right. Well, let's add some data. Yeah. Uh, this episode, season six, episode 14, Dan Dan and Out. <laughs> Down and Out aired on November 29th, 2012. It was written by Big Daddy Nix and Daniel Touch? Daniel Took? Yeah, I think we, we looked this up and he was like um, Big Daddy Nix's assistant who yes, gave a writing credit to. Exactly. And they both, he gets a story credit and they both have telepic credits. They wrote this together. He would, he would go on to write for Ben Watkins' Hand of God show. And he also wrote a movie that came out this year, apparently. Ooh. Or not this year, because we're in 2022 now. Sure. Last year, called Escape Room Tournament of Champions. <laughs> and it was directed by Henry Bronstein, Bronstein, who doesn't have a ton of directing, directing credits, is mostly known for his second unit and producing work. Hmm. This is a real, like... Let's, let's give the kids something fun to exactly. do. Exactly. And I was honestly kind of worried by that because a lot of the times when we get episodes like that, they tend to not be very good. Like that time that uh, Ryan Johnson and Lisa Joy wrote an episode. It was Lisa Joy's first episode. Exactly. And it was that weird like romp through the Everglades with that random drug dealer who we saw like one more time. Yeah. And you get the sense that like, yeah, this is like a trading episode. Mm -hmm. And it's not supposed to be like great. It's right. like, it's like our grad program. <laughs> That I just quit. So that's exciting. Oh, right. I don't teach there anymore. But so you, having said that, with lower expectations, because I also had lower expectations because I saw it was the, the co-written one. Exactly. And I remember talking about the Daniel touch of it all. But I... I thought I, it was solid. I thought it was a solid episode. I thought it was solid too. I mean, I bet Daddy had a strong hand in that. Yeah, no, of course. But I, thought, also, it was I thought it was good. It's also an episode that like is buoyed by the confidence of its guest star. Yes, that certainly helps. And oh like, god, I just forgot until just this moment that fucking Patton Oswald is in this episode. Patton Oswald is in this episode. He is. So let's let's actually get to it. But first, oh. no, we have to do the premise. We can't <laughs> just get to it. I just that's what I said. I was I was giving you the segue. The premise of this episode, according to IMDb, is. Riley puts pressure on Maddie to assist in finding Michael. Michael gets himself captured to locate a ham-fisted smuggler. Which is not accurate. Ham-fisted? Ham-fisted. Is that how we would describe the, like... No, I don't ham know. Ham-fisted in what? I don't know. Honestly. It feels like somebody just learned ham-fisted. Exactly. Like, that seems like a description for a bad guy. Yeah, it was. It's very odd. I don't understand that. Also, they don't. 
he doesn't get himself captured to locate the smuggler. He knows where the smuggler is. But well, no, not necessarily. Technically, he they don't know where he is, but they know that he comes out of hiding anytime he thinks that Patton Oswald is up to something. So they're drawing him well, out no, of hiding. Well, no, but Patton Oswald is the smuggler. Uh oh yeah, who what's the what's the uh, the guy who hates him? What's his deal? He's like a arm, he's a gunrunner. That's a smuggler. I mean, I guess he is a smuggler. But like he's not like the smuggler who like is called a smuggler in the episode. Pat yeah, Oswald certainly is goes more a on smuggler. and on about how good he is at smuggling. He's such a smuggler. He's the best smuggler that ever smuggled. Mhm. He's so fucking smug. Anyway, we're going to get into it in the weeds. Yeah. Sam and Fee wait in the marina and look over their new passports. Sam is upset that he's not Chuck Finley, but is instead Randy Weems. <laughs> Which is a great name. It's but great... also, didn't Sam call himself Chuck, Chuck Finley? Chuck Finley in front of Riley. Yeah. Like, at a certain point, like... At he... a certain point, you gotta let it go, man. Yeah, like, that, that feels like such an obvious tell for like, oh yeah, so Sam X is in Panama now. Literally, yeah, it's, this is a thing that has always been a problem with the Chuck Finley runner. And I hope that, like, I'm really hoping that they do like a silly, like, season seven episode where like, you know, finally all of the people who think Chuck Finley is a different person, like, co- come, like you yeah. know, come together, they discover each other, like... I want there to be the fall of Chuck Finley. No, I agree. You know what I mean? Because, like, it feels like at this point, he's created such a tower of, like, a, a house of cards. I want to watch it tumble down spectacularly. Apparently he does, too, because he keeps tempting fate like this. I know. I just, I want that to pay off. I don't know if it will. This seems like the kind of show that, like, it has the capacity to do an episode like that. I don't know if it's smart enough to. I don't think it is. Like, it's totally built where they could do this and it would be really fun. I don't know if they have the sophistication as a writer's room I, to pitch it and know what to do with it. I don't think they do either. And to me, that is the great failing of this show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, like, there's so much that works about it. No, of course. But, like, the people who are on it are not quite the right group. Exactly. And this is why... Boot Barrios. That's number one. This is why... Put Michael Horowitz in charge. Because Michael Horowitz is the only one who is working on that level. Yeah, he's working on that level, but he also has a genuine appreciation for what the show is. No, Because, like, I, I think that a lot of our haters probably assume that, like, we think that the show is bad and we just want to tear it down. No, but, like, course. why we did this show is because we genuinely do like the show and there's a lot of really fun stuff about it. And there's, like... And, uh, All the pieces are there. They're just putting it in wrong. Like me with the cabinet I was trying to build before Chris got here today. <laughs> yeah, no. like Because I, like Matt Nick, should not be in charge. Like, sometimes I have jokingly asserted or, like, suggested that it was possible that, like, there was an inverse relationship between great episode of Burn Notice and great episode of television. But that is rarely the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as we know from the from data. The spri- that from I, the data, exactly. From the data in my spreadsheet, there is no correlation between, like, how many people are writing great episodes of television versus how many people that are writing, like, great episodes of Burn Notice. Exactly. There's certainly not a negative correlation. Exactly. Anyway, so they're... <laughs> They're waiting for people to arrive. They're specifically waiting for Elsa to arrive with some stuff for Sam, including nice scotch. 
But when she arrives, she mentions that she was late because of construction, and Sam and Fee realize that their cover is blown. The construction guys are actually the CIA. Mm -hmm. Michael and Fee arrive just in time to take Elsa's car with her permission, and Sam gives Elsa a heartfelt goodbye and tells her to say that she doesn't know him anymore because the CIA is going to come talk to her, and they kiss, and then they get away. Do you mean Michael and Jesse? Because apparently Sam and Fee are waiting in the marina. Well, they are waiting in the marina. But then Michael and Fee arrive? Oh, sorry. Michael who's and... who's arriving? <laughs> Michael Where's and Jesse, Jesse? arrive. Michael and Jesse arrive. Yeah, well, I don't even think they arrived. I think they were also at the marina, but like doing something with the boat, maybe. Here's the thing. I feel like I remembered. Yeah, they were doing something else. I guess they, like it really seemed like they were waiting for other people besides Elsa. It was unclear. Yeah, it, I think it was like they were all splitting up and do, like they Sam. were all doing different things but we were only hanging out with sam yeah. and sam's partner who i'm pretty sure was fee <laughs> but it did and seem like no longer is elsa but like it did seem like fee arrived with michael somehow i don't know how that happened <laughs> that was my subjective experience of it great moving on who cares <laughs> exactly anyway at this point fee realizes that the ids that she got from her id guy are definitely bogus because the id guy was the one who tipped them off yeah and she, so she they, was like oh he seemed nervous or like he, he this this came through really fast like basically she's like putting into perspective hey now that we know that we have been sold out my id guy was acting kind of strange so it must have been him so these are not good anymore exactly so but sam says he does know a guy and and the guy that he knows is once again dixon we're trying we keep trying to make dixon happen it's gonna there make the like, same joke no, it's like, not gonna happen for notice like Sam goes to Dixon at his day job to badger him into connecting him with a super smuggler he knows named Schmidt. Mm -hmm. And again, like, the whole scene is playing on their long history. Again, I still don't know who Dixon is. Yeah, he's just a guy we met, like, late last season, I think. Yeah, no. Like, we have no context for Dixon. You can't, like, and you keep acting like there's more and more context. I think in this scene, Sam mentions that they maybe we're in the military together oh like, yeah and he was like dishonorably discharged or something exactly or something related to pornography yeah but like why why is he not just barry why is he not just a guy they don't know but we ran into like i don't understand why they couldn't have introduced us to dixon as like a new character whenever right. he came up and then we can bank on the continuity from the show itself rather than this bizarre like history the storied history we know nothing of except for in the snippets when they snipe at each other and again it's like, so bizarre no offense to the guy who's playing dixon yeah, but he's, he's fine but he's also not great like he's not like good enough that it makes sense that we would keep bringing him back i don't like go oh yay dixon is here like <laughs> yeah I, he's he's not sh- he's no he's, sugar no he's no sugar he's <laughs> not he's nothing yeah he doesn't even have weird charisma like no, sugar he, does no he doesn't he has no charisma he's just a guy it's yeah it's very strange maybe he's like someone's nephew that they had to write in and then he was like no i want to feel important i want to have like a backstory with them like maybe there's some like weird strong-arming nepotism behind the scenes i mean it would make sense yeah, but that doesn't seem like the kind of people that work on this show. So yeah, I Dixon is bizarre to me. I mean, me. it is a very all-in-the-family show. <laughs> exactly. But yeah. like, usually that's like a good thing. Right. This feels like not. I mean, we don't know that. We're just saying that because he's not good. Right. Well, my thing is, it's one thing to introduce this new character and bring him back a lot, you know, 
because they meet this guy. He seemed real swell. We're going to put him in the show a couple of times. But the fact that they have added an additional backstory, that's what's confusing to me. It's I mean, this. It's, it's, it's a detail that's like, why is that there? Yeah, no, it just makes things less comprehensible. Exactly. So I'm wondering either... Did he replace, like, maybe was Barry not available one week, so they had to invent a new guy that they have a deep enough trust in? Right. That they, like, is that what happened? I think it has to be. And, like, maybe... These are questions I would love to ask, like, Michael Horowitz. I wonder if I can email him, like, hey, what's the deal with Dixon? What's the deal with Dixon? (laughs) Hey, I know we haven't talked in a while. (laughs) I don't know. I don't remember how we left it, but I just... I left it okay. I tried to get him to to work on a film festival with me, and he almost did it, just the scheduling didn't work out. Oh, well then, okay, what's the deal with Dixon? What's going on? Yeah. Somebody answer us. Hashtag, what's the deal with Dixon? (sighs) We did Stephen (laughs) Sergic. I don't even know if he directed any of his episodes. But he was a producer. He might know. Yeah, he was around. Anyways, Dixon leads them to Schmidt. Yeah. But first, Madeline surveils the CIA surveillance and identifies a guy that might be important, but ends up never being important. Yeah. Basically, now that she's their inside woman, she is like, Riley has fully taken over her house. Exactly. But, But she also goes to specifically take pictures of the loft. Where the guy, where there's like CIA guys there, she finds a specific CIA guy, and the spy tip says like, "You want to find a specific person that shows up to lots of places because they're probably important." But this man winds up not being important. No, but she's trying. But she's trying, and good for her. But yeah, so Dixon arrives at Schmidt's house with Fee, and the cover story is that Fee is Dixon's girlfriend. The door opens, and it's Patton Oswalt because of course it is. What do you mean, of course it is? I don't know. I feel like he's like. He's an inevitability he's as an a inevitability. guest star. Yeah, he is like he is an inevitability as a guest star because he's a great guest star. And mm-hmm. anything that he's in, like you have Patton Oswalt, he will come in, he will do his Patton Oswalt thing, and he will be good. He is like he is also a fan of things, so like mm-hmm. he shows up in these kinds of things a lot. Yeah, he's, he has, a he lot has of, an enthusiasm that probably a lot of like bit players and guest stars wouldn't exactly. have. Exactly, and he enjoys doing this kind of thing. And yeah, he seemed to be having fun. He exactly. seemed to be having a good time with this. But anyways. Anyway, Patton Oswalt immediately sees through Dixon's ruse and also hates Dixon. As does everyone. As apparently. does everyone. And lambasts him for coming to his house when he is in hiding. He, he gets even more upset when Michael and the rest of the, the crew arrive with guns. Mm-hmm. And so Patton explains that he is the best smuggler of all time, but he can't smuggle them out of the country right now because there's a big scary guy that's after him. Fee threatens to blow him up, and Patton Oswald responds by throwing a fat flash grenade at them and tries to escape, but Michael stops him and tells him that they will solve his problem, you will be the case of the week, and then you will get us out of the country. Mm-hmm. And then I think we get the client lower The third, client. Which the client, they, Patton Oswald. Yeah, which we is employed less recently, and I do appreciate that. I appreciate that they've finally given up like having to have a client in every episode. Like last week, yeah. we didn't need a client. No, of I course. think in in like season one or two of Burn Notice, an episode like last week's, we would have still had a case of the week. Exactly. And it would have been bad unless Michael Horowitz was writing it. Because Michael Horowitz is, like I think, the only person who can manage to balance both of those things at the same time. Right. No, I trust no one else with it. No, I, th- I always think of that one that one season premiere where Michael is also oh, trying to like Yeah, there's help. that guy in the back of the truck that he's trying to help. Yeah. Is, is that the one you're talking no, about? No, no. I was thinking about the that one. That was also weird. That was that one was weird. I was thinking of the one where like he sees a guy that's about to kill himself. Oh yeah, the medical debt <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah, the medical debt one. It's like a season premiere. <laughs> yeah. 
Exactly. But like, that's the kind of shit they used to do. And now they just let it be. I think maybe it's because their ensemble is finally big enough. I think it's also because they've given been given more leeway. I do think this was based on, in general, what we know about USA. And mm-hmm. I think based on some specific things that Michael Horowitz said in one of his emails or to Or alluded us, to. That, like, that was a network note. That yeah. there had to be a case of the week. And, like, now, like, they have a little more clout. And it's also just later in TV, wherein we were much more open to serialization. Again, mm-hmm. like, this show sort of straddles the line of when serialization became dominant. Sure. So, like, that's a thing. I think they just got a lot more relay leeway mm-hmm. to uh, do stuff like that and not have to have a client. So now, I, I'm almost kind of happy when I see the client, because it's <laughs> like, oh, hey, that's fun. Yeah, it's, it's like retro burn notice. It's retro burn notice. Look at you. <laughs> All right. So then Patton explains that he helped the Syrian woman escape her abusive husband because he's against that sort of thing. But it turns out her husband was Jabbar Hamadi, an ex-Syrian intelligence guy and current gun runner, who I guess is a smuggler, mm-hmm. and psychotic wife guy who is obsessed with getting his wife back. He says that if they get rid of Hamadi, he'll give him everything for free. And Sam demands that his new ID be Chuck Finley. I just, I want the the hubris to fall down around him. And then I still want him to come out on top and continue using Chuck Finley. Like, that's what I want. Maybe, maybe that should be our spec episode. Is like, if they don't actually do it themselves, we write the fall of Chuck Finley. I know, of course. That feels like a really fun, like, thing to do. That seems like a, a sequel movie. Anyway, so Sam, like a character in The Witcher... Soaks in a hot tub <laughs> with a mojito. <laughs> I do remember, like, we transitioned from, like, Sam being like, my name's Chuck Finley, to, like, Sam clearly shirtless, but you can't tell he's in a hot tub at first until they zoom out and Michael comes to see him. And I was like, why is Bruce Campbell not wearing a shirt in Patton Oswalt's house? They do not know each other well enough for this. What's up? And then it's, I'm like, oh, okay, he's in a hot tub. He's in a hot tub. He's got a mojito. But for a second, I thought he was just, like, on the couch without a shirt, like, looking over documents. And I'm like, Sam, you're a little too comfortable. <laughs> He's been through a lot. He has been through a lot. Yeah, he is in a hot tub with a mojito for what he is afraid will be the last time. (laughs) And he's going over info on Hamadi. He gives it to Michael, who hatches a plan to get Hamadi to go to Patton's last remaining warehouse, and they can catch him there. Yeah, because Patton Oswalt has established at this point that, like, the reason he's in hiding is also because he can't really move any product right now. Because exactly. anytime he tries to do something, because I think they ask him, like, well, why can't you do smuggling from your house? And he's like, because I have to smuggle a thing, and the warehouse is where I keep the things. Anytime, like, there's clearly a mole or something, because anytime I try to move shit from my warehouses, they descend upon me. And exactly. Michael's like, well, let's use that to our advantage. We know what will get them a colon, so let's do it. Exactly. Hamadi is so bad that all they have to do is get him to a place where the authorities are and his rap sheet will do the rest. Mm -hmm. So Sam says this is too dangerous and Michael says he owes it to Sam because Sam had to leave Elsa and all of this stuff is happening. Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah, because like Sam's upset about several things at this point. Like Sam's upset that Michael killed a man in cold blood. Like I think there's still that moral tension between them where Sam's like, the whole reason we're on the run is not just because you made a mistake because like that's a thing we've dealt with before. Right. But I also think you have made a bad mistake that you didn't have to make. Yeah, this was a moral judgment that I, like this is a moral wrong thing that my life is now becoming terrible for. Yeah, exactly. It's like... He can't even... He can't believe in it like he normally does. Mm -hmm. And I like that. I like that consistency. No, I really do genuinely genuinely enjoy this move Mm -hmm. that the show is doing. Yeah, the schism of morality within the gang. At Patton's warehouse full of cool shit... (laughs) 
Sam and Jesse explain the plan. Patton will make a call to someone for getting something from the warehouse, and Hamadi's guys will come in running to find him, but instead, they will find an angry ex-employee, played by Michael. <laughs> Meanwhile, Fee ties Michael to a chair in the office, because it's their last time, mm-hmm. possibly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and burns him with a curling iron, because it's their last time, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Uh, to make it look like Schmidt tortured him with a car battery. Yeah, because basically the play, it's not just that he's an angry ex-employee, it's that like they, that they're they setting it up where Michael needs to be mad at Patton Oswalt, yeah, exactly. because Patton Oswalt thinks that Michael is the mole sending info to right. Hamadi. Exactly. So it's like motive. They're giving him motive They're to giving turn. him motive, yes. Anyway, so meanwhile, Riley arrives at Madeline's to tell, to tell her that she knows that Madeline's been doing surveillance on her guys. And so while her men search the house and check the phone lines and bug everything, Riley, Riley has Madeline sign a document that says that she is fully cooperating with the investigation. And if she violates that agreement, she will get life in prison. Prison. I can't talk to that. I was kind of hoping that Madeline would like read the contract and eventually it will come back that she's like, actually, the specific legalese. I know that's not that ki- this kind of show. And that's also not the kind of character that Madeline I is. I know, but like anytime somebody signs a contract, like as like the freelancer PTSD that I have, I'm like, you need to read that before signing it and negotiate. You want to like, you want to get out on a technicality like you're dealing with the Fae. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Actually, I was thinking about that because that is a thing that happens in the D&D podcast that I'm re-listening to right now. Like, it's a lot of contract stuff yeah. with Fae and sprites. Love shit like that. Love shit like that. Anyway, Hamadi's guys arrive at the warehouse and Sam, Jesse, and Patton put up enough of a show of a fight to make it look like them and they've been caught off guard and they get out of there. And the bad guys find Michael, and he convinces them that he can get them Patton because he has been tortured and he hates him and he wants to see him die. Mm-hmm. So Michael meets with Hamadi and says that he was Patton's secret weapon before Patton turned on him because he thought he was the mole. Mm-hmm. He says that he is the only person who knows where Patton Oswalt lives, and he ha- he has a map to the stars, mm-hmm. and he want and he wants to see Patton bleed. Is there, are his exact words? Yeah, he wants to like specifically. He wants to be there when exactly. whatever goes down goes like, down. Like he literally Obviously. wants to see Patton bleed. Yeah, I also like you. Don't usually do this. This is more my thing. But I like that you are refusing to refer to him by whatever his fucking no. smuggler name is. It's no, Patton Oswald. It's Patton Oswald. Like that's the thing. If Patton Oswald was playing more of a character. Maybe, but Patton Oswalt is just doing Patton Oswalt. I will say, Patton Oswalt has a really good, like, stint on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well. He plays, like, twins? He, he basically, he plays, like, a series of clones, that he, uh, but he refers to them as his brothers. Yeah. But, like, they're clearly, like, clones, clones and yeah. they're, they're, they're clearly slightly disposable. And it's just, like, this weird little, like, background thing, and he's kind of just... Like, he's kind of like a man in the van sort of thing for right. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And, like, they, they, they'll go to, like, a new safe house, and all of a sudden there's a new Pat Oswald clone there. And he does a really fun job. And he's clearly having a d- good time there, too. That is really fun. I yeah. may have seen some of that. I'm trying to figure out how early that happens in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, I think he appears in season one. At yeah, I've point. seen, like, the first two seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's a surprisingly good show. And then it gets weird. And then it gets really weird, but in a good way. No, this is what I've heard. I've heard I need that, to finish it. Like, it, it's one of those shows that gets better as it goes. Mm-hmm. It, um, it has a, a bit of a, like, identity crisis where mm-hmm. it's starting to transition away from, like, straightforward companion series, like, supplemental to the MCU. And to doing its own thing. Mm-hmm. And they have to, like, go to the future 
then there's like, there's a whole lot of shit that goes down that when you watch it, you're like, wait, what? That makes but sense. you kind of appreciate just like how committed they are to like, no, we're going to do a fully different thing now. No, that makes sense. It's not unlike what Star Trek Discovery is doing right now. That makes, I buy that. Should I watch Star Trek Discovery? I have Paramount Plus now. Um, do you like Star Trek? I like the 2009 Star Trek. Um, I don't know. Maybe. Because, yeah, I've never seen classic Star Trek. Like, I don't know. I mean, the first season's bad. Okay. The first well. season is, like, bad. Is it bad in a way that I would enjoy because I'm a simpleton? No, I think you might find it very... It's, like, it is a season of television that, like, is fully banking on its twists to be good. Hmm. And it's not actually that good at being a television show. Got it. But season uh, two is good? Season two is better. It kind of, like... It's better and worse. It's less interesting, but more competent. But then season three is good. I don't know if I would recommend it to people who have not watched any Star Trek. That's fair. Um, I, I need to watch Deep Space Nine. I know that's a big one. That's, I mean, that's the best one. Yeah. But that's also a show that requires you to know Star Trek. Like, because the thing about, I see, like, that's the hard part is it's sort of like a Doctor Who if you want to go to, you know, far enough right. back in the canon where it's like you need to know so much. It just feels very overwhelming. No, the thing about like, yeah, because like Deep Space Nine is a show that like expects you to have a familiarity with Star Trek, not just in like a the specific sense. I mean, like the pilot of Deep Space Nine is like references an episode of the next generation like it's Mm. like the inciting incident for like one of the characters is based on like stuff that was happening next generation and like so So it's it's truly like a spin-off it's not like yeah very much yeah it's like very much a spin-off companion piece to next generation got it like angel style characters go from one show to the other sure i feel like angel stands on its own a little bit better no because it is so fully a different kind of show no i do think that like deep space nine works in that way like the way that angel does i would say like watching deep space nine without watching next generation is akin to watching angel without watching buffy okay um, we don't need to talk about this right now. We can talk about this later. No, of course. But, <laughs> but it came up. I wanted to ask. No, of course. But Next Generation is a great television show. Everyone should watch it. Sets I might up. have you make me a list. I might make you a list. I would love a list. Because I want to get into Star Trek. It's just, there's so much. And like the earliest stuff with like Shatner and everything yeah. is so, like the first episode ever is like, oh boy, I don't know yeah. if I like this enough to like stick right. with this thing for as long as I no, need to. No, of course. Yeah, no, I can... I think There's it's something definitely... I would appreciate in retrospect or right. if I had grown up with it. No, of course. I could get you a Star Trek list. All right. All right. <laughs> Meanwhile, Patton is just finding out about this part of the plan and is very upset, but Sam assures him that it's fine because he'll be with Fida Motel, but... Um, Patton is worried about losing all of his possessions yeah, and all I of think his he, stuff. I think he thought that, like, they were going to call the cops, like, right away. Exactly. Um, but, like, obviously they can't do that. One thing I will say is that this episode is a little bit smarter than I gave it credit for. Okay. Because the whole time I'm watching this plan, I'm really kind of annoyed at the burn notice crew for not thinking about the fact that he probably needs some of this stuff to smuggle them out of the country mm-hmm. and they're just willy-nilly sacrificing all of his stuff like they're the episode is playing it like Patton oswalt is kind of greedy wait so are you saying that you previously gave it more cleverness than well no because at the end of the episode 
at least acknowledge the fact that all the stuff that happened to his stuff will make it harder for them in the future. Okay. A smarter episode would have accounted for accounted this? more directly. That would have affected Patton's motivations more directly. Like they would have, like part of it is that he needs stuff that would have been part of the plotting more that they're destroying things that they personally need to get out of the country. Yeah, maybe there would have been like a scene where before Patton realizes what's happening, they say like, oh, hey, since we're at your warehouse, you want to grab a couple of things to like help us make an identity? And then later he realizes, oh, because you knew that the rest of the shit was going to get taken. Yeah, or even just like they do take out some stuff that is required and they have to get it back. And that Mm. becomes part of that's Like a subplot. Yeah, exactly. Like a delivery mission. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, I see. That sort of thing. It's fine as is, but yeah, I agree. No, that yeah, yeah. better. Meanwhile, Jesse arrives and says that he paid a kid on a bike to drive past Madeline's, and she put up the meeting signal, which is a rake set up in a certain location. She put up the meeting rake. <laughs> I um, also just realized this is the second episode in a row where Jesse has, like, paid a kid at a location. And we've seen him do it. We saw him do it in Panama once. Like, I kind of like that Jesse's, like, Sam's thing is he has, like, buddies. Mm-hmm. Jesse's thing is he has, like, an army of, like, children. He has a Baker Street regular. I was just going to say a regulars. Uh. <laughs> Oh my gosh. But, the, the, but even... that has, is becoming a trend, I feel like. No, like yeah. Because Jesse's the younger guy. Like, Sam has, like, old buddies who, like, have been friends for years. And Jesse is just like. <laughs> because he's the younger guy, so he's an army of children. Exactly. He understands the youths. <laughs> he's hip. That's what. That's a new distinguishing feature about Jesse. Exactly. Learning. So if Jesse pays off a kid in an episode. He's that not means... redundant. Yes. Anyway, um, so Madeline goes to meet with what we, who we will learn is Fee, because Fee is the only one available because she's babysitting Patton Oswalt. Mm-hmm, and she's like, just stay at the hotel, it's fine. Yeah. So, and Madeline uh, is being tailed, and she ditches her tail to meet with Fee. Madeline tells her that Riley is onto her and has bugged her house. Fee gives her a burner phone, and Madeline says that a long time ago, Michael left without saying goodbye. And asks her to promise that she won't do the same thing. And they hug. And I liked the scene because I thought the point of the scene was going to be make sure that he doesn't do that again. Mm -hmm. But it's not about him. It's about them. Yeah. And I love that. And it also lends credence to a thing that I said a couple of episodes ago about how weird it is that, like, Fee isn't more, like, broken up about Nate and, like... Matt, she and Madeline have no real interaction about it. Right. No, yeah. Because they do. we know they have a relationship. We know exactly. how meaningful it is. Just them girls. Exactly. I, I do think that, like, Madeline obviously dangerously ditching her tail is such a bad thing for her to do. Because, like, they could just straight up arrest her, right? Right. She's obviously not, comp- like, even if they can't prove what she was doing, she's ditching a tail. Well, I mean. is I that mean, Does that not have consequences? Well, I mean, you're not supposed to know you have a tail. I guess, but, like, Riley knows. I mean, yeah, but it's also... She's also obviously ditching a tail. But, like, is she obviously ditching a tail? I guess that's true, because even Riley, like, doesn't say, we're bugging your house. She's like, we were just checking the house. No, yeah. And then Madeline's like, so they bugged my house. No, but that's the thing, like, and they kind of allude to this at the end of the episode, Mm -hmm. about how the fact that everyone kind of has to not to talk around stuff Mm -hmm. for, like, various legal reasons gives Madeline a little bit of cover. Exactly. Okay, I see. But also, like, theoretically, she's not supposed to know that she's being tailed. Maybe she's just a bad old lady driver. Exactly. But it's also, like, it's, like, being tailed isn't, like, 
being arrested. I guess that's true. It's not like... Yeah, they didn't say, like, you have an escort. You have no, to stay with your escort. No. Like, she was being tailed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's fair. Yeah. Anyway. So Sam and Jesse wait at Patton's for Hamadi to arrive and discuss where they'll go when they leave the country. Sam says he wants to, to go to Antigua, and Jesse says that's off limits because he dated a girl from there, and she was crazy, <laughs> and, like, all of those islands are off limits. <laughs> Yeah, and Sam's like, good crazy, and Jesse's like, no. No. <laughs> if we get out of this alive, I'll tell you, it's a lot. I, and that, I love them together. They're I such bros. Them. They are. I can't tell if the implication is that, like, Sam might go and be with this girl, no. or if the implication is that every girl from this region is toxic. I think it might be the case that, like she will hear he's there and Jesse will have to deal with her. Like, I assumed it was one of those things where it's like, she'll know I'm, if I'm too close to her, her radar will go off or like her long, her big family network will go off and I will be found out. I cannot deal with this woman. Well, is like Jesse also going to Antigua? Well, I think the assumption is they're going together, isn't it? Well, I mean, that was the thing. Like, I wasn't sure because when they started talking, they were like, where do you want to go? I mean, it seemed like they weren't going to the same place. No, I thought they were going to the same place and they're discussing like, well, where are all of us going to go? That was, where would you go if you chose it? Exactly. That's what I took away from it. Yeah, at least. Especially because Jesse was so like exactly. vehemently like, no, we bit, can't go there. Yeah, I wasn't sure what was going on there. But like, yeah, I think makes, the assumption makes is they go that. together. I mean, that is the assumption and... That the episode ends with dealing with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think that was kind of... Then they get a call from Patton, who is not at the motel being babysat by Fee, but is instead at his warehouse trying to salvage some of his investments and stuff, and some of Hamadi's men came back and are now currently grabbing him. Mm -hmm. And so they bring Patton back to Hamadi's, and as per previous discussion, Hamadi lets Michael watch as he begins to torture him until he bleeds. Mm -hmm. At one point telling him, like, you're going to die today. It just depends on how long you want to suffer. Mm -hmm. At which point Michael speaks up and says, well, I used to be a special forces interrogator. You always um, got to put a little truth in your lie. Exactly. Which we know from previous Burn Notice episodes. And, and, he, and you really shouldn't tell him they're going to die because now he's just going to lie to you forever. But Michael says he knows a guy with a specific chemical which he kind of implies is like a truth serum chemical, and that if they let Michael call up the guy, he can find out he can find Hamadi's wife within the hour. So Sam, meanwhile, Sam, Fee, and Jesse are just waiting around, planning their next move. When Michael calls and asks Sam for this chemical for the interrogation he's working on, but Sam says that's not truth serum, that's poison, <laughs> and he says if they're doing what he thinks they're doing, they're gonna need an ambulance. Michael says they have an hour, and Sam explains to the others that they're going to fake Patton's death, but they need an ambulance fast, or otherwise he will actually die for real. Mm -hmm. If you die in the bit, you die in real life. <laughs> I was going to make that joke, too. We, even though we haven't seen each other in like a month and a half, we're, we spend too much time together because we're starting to have the same point of reference for stupid jokes. Of course. And then Sam asks Fee if she still knows that EMT guy with the dimples. And I thought we were going to see him. I thought we were going to see we... a Campbell thing, too. And it's especially funny because as I was setting up my very impressive spreadsheet, um, I saw the 0.5 of yogurt count in Alfredo Barrios Jr.'s column. And I was like, oh, yeah, because Campbell brought uh, Michael a yogurt drink. And we, right. and we said, well, that's not technically yogurt. We're going to give it a half. Right. <laughs> And I remembered Campbell, and I was like, oh. Remember Campbell? I had completely forgot about Campbell until they mentioned 
I was like, and I oh, forgot Campbell. about him until I saw the point five, and then I was like, oh, we're gonna see Campbell. I want to see how that works out because he was always such a sweetheart. He was, and I bet he would be fine with it. He's like, well, you're with your true love now, but no, no such no, luck, no such luck. He's Spoiler no shirts. We don't, we don't get to see Campbell, but no. it's assumed that we get, saw him at some point. Exactly, they get the they get the ambulance from Campbell. Mm-hmm. Absolutely wild that he's just like, yeah, take it, take it. Like, it's, instead of drive, because usually when they used to use him, he was the dr- exactly. ambulance driver. No, exactly. The thing that was really confusing is it's like, can you just like? It's not like Campbell owns the ambulance. It's like, or even like, do like ambulance drivers, like truck drivers, just kind of like, or like cops, or like cops, just kind of like own their ambulances? <laughs> See, like driving home in the ambulance. Yeah. The- how this all works out so that they don't have to have a guest star come back, a little bit bizarre. Yeah. I'm willing to overlook it because I liked even the mention of him. Like, yeah. they do have an ambulance driver contact. Exactly. So I'm willing to overlook it, but like, mm, a little weird. Yeah. Anyway, so Michael takes Patton into a freezer to make the drugs work better. Yeah, if he's cold, the drugs work better. And gets a second alone to fill him in on the plan, which he hates. Fair. Um, it sounds bad. It sounds bad. <laughs> yeah, Michael's like, so I'm going to inject you with a drug, and Patton's like, I already hate it. Yeah. Don't want to do that. <laughs> and he goes, like, what does the drug do? He's like, you don't want to know. He's like, yes, I do. He's like, it's going to kill you almost. And like, I didn't want to know that. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's good. Pat Oswald's doing a good job. Exactly. Uh, Jeffrey Donovan's doing a good straight man job. Yeah. Like, he rarely gets to be a straight man to, like, this kind of character, and I right. think he does really well. Because people are usually a little more grounded on Burn Notice. Right. And it's also, like, we don't get characters quite like the character that Patton Oswalt's doing mm-hmm. because like, they're not really doing, they're not casting Patton Oswalt types. Yeah. Generally like this character would either be like more simpering mm-hmm. and like not as smart or yeah. like he would be like, like a hacker type, but he would be not, the way that Pat Like a was. gross nerd, like we yeah, hate. Exactly. And we hate nerds. Exactly. Yeah, and the thing about Pat Oswald, as you were recapping this, I was like, you know, normally when a client goes against Michael's wishes, it's really irritating because it's like, obviously you shouldn't do that. Like the teenage girl, the, right. the storied teenage girl from episode three, uh, or maybe episode two, who just like goes to her high school dance even though they're in fucking hiding. But in this case, it makes sense on two levels. The first level is you didn't tell me all my shit was getting taken and that's a lot of like shit that I need. So he has an incentive to go back that like they hadn't prepared him for. Because usually they prepare them for like, these are the risks you like, you just have to accept that like you can't go back here anymore. They didn't tell him that. They hid it from him because they're like, this dirtbag doesn't need to know this. And the second thing, he reasonably reasons like, well, why would I go back to the scene of the crime? So therefore, why would they be there? Like, everything that you have told me leads me to assume that I have a window. Right. I have a window. Let me go to my window. You know, they don't, like, clearly they were at the warehouse before they called anyone. So, like, the warehouse itself is clean until stuff is being moved. So, like, basically what I'm saying is, to your point, he's a smarter character of this kind of character than we usually get. And I like that, too. I enjoy that. Yeah, I'm not frustrated with him. I'm like, yeah, buddy, I get it. And that sucks for you. Yeah. (laughs) This really sucks for you, my dude. Uh, Michael also tells him that he has to give the actual location of Hamadi's wife when he gets injected. After, like, one, like, resist me and then tell. Yeah, exactly. Like, sell it. And when Sam arrives and injects him, he does indeed do this. And Hamadi's guys confirm the information is genuine. And then Patton dies. (laughs) 
And then uh, Sam says that he can take care of the body so that it doesn't get back traced back to him. And Hamadi agrees. Some of this happens a little fast where yeah. he's like, so that, now there's two completely new people in this situation and they're both so helpful right. and like want to get away from me and like have control over the situation. Like, I guess that's fine. I think like Hamadi's so happy that he can kill his wife or whatever the fuck he wants to do. Yeah. <laughs> like he's been waiting for this. Yeah, I just, I feel like we didn't spend enough time with Hamadi that, like... Actually, I think it works in, like, like the episode's favor. Because I'm like, I don't know how smart this guy is. I guess. Yeah. Like, we haven't been set up like, this guy is a brain genius. No, like, no one's... tricked by one convenience. Exactly. Like, that is not a thing that is happening. So it's almost like this is, you, you have a suspension of disbelief. Like, yeah. maybe this guy is a total idiot. Exactly. We don't have, I don't have any preconceived notions of this guy. He's supposed to be scary. He's not supposed to be smart. Yeah, it's true. It's a little convenient for me. I would yeah. have preferred, like, the like character, one thing. Like, the guy, the thing is, like, the actor is playing a smarter character. Like, it's like, he is a type, because he's like an older guy. Mm -hmm. So he's supposed to be like the wise boss type. Mm -hmm. But like, there's nothing actually in the text of the episode that confirms that. Yeah, he's like Like, a violent psychopath as far as Pat Mosold is telling us. Exactly. Like, there's a bit earlier where like, one of his men come in and like, find Michael for the first time, who's like his number two guy. And I thought at first that that was Hamadi. Me too. Because he like, was younger and like, like, a little bit more. Yeah, it seemed like he was more the thing that Pat Oswalt was describing. Mm-hmm. Not like an older guy. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. like a sort of classic misogynist. Exactly. Like, um, like a Sean Connery. Yeah, like a Sean Connery. <laughs> It's terrible. Man time. <laughs> Let's do that two episodes in a row. <laughs> they know we batch record. Yeah, we should keep talking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, say that once an episode. The accent's going to get worse and worse. <laughs> well, it's certainly not going to get better. Anyway, they put Patton in the ambulance and race him to the hospital. And Michael tries to figure out how to get the authorities to get Hamadi. And Fee gets the idea to call Madeline. Which I enjoyed this too. Mm-hmm. So Michael calls her and tells her to say the address of where Hamadi will be so that the entire CIA SWAT team arrives to get Hamadi in his bag. Well, he basically says, say that you'll meet me. Yeah. Like, say, hi, Michael, I will meet you at exactly. this location. So that they think they're getting Michael. And this is something that they've done before. Exactly. Where it's like, while he's on the run from the authorities, he's like, drop it. He's like Batman, like dropping off like people at the Gotham PD. Yeah. Or like Spider-Man doing that while exactly. J. Jonah Jameson's like, fuck you, Spider-Man. And Spider-Man's like, okay, but here's a criminal. Bye. And they're like, oh, okay, we'll take a criminal. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's yeah, a brief moment like where like Pat Oswald might die, mm-hmm. but like, he's fine. Yeah, he's, he's fine. fine. We can't kill Pat Oswald. Can't kill Pat they gotta get out of the island. They gotta get off the island. Exactly. They, they got the island of the United States. Get the island. <laughs> they gotta get that Chuck Finley ID. Anyway, we don't see Hamadi getting take down, taken down though, because we don't have the budget for that. And it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter. So anyway, Riley shows up at Madeline's and tells her that Hamadi was the consolation prize, and that the next time she sees Michael, to tell him that he, she's coming for him and for Madeline too if she keeps on helping him. Mm-hmm. But it's once again, we kind of have to talk around like, technically, Madeline didn't go meet Michael. No, technically, yeah. they have no proof because this is a burner phone, whatever. Exactly. So it's this thing of like, all right, everyone knows what's going on, but technically no laws have been broken yet. Exactly. And like <laughs> the voiceover like talks about that. And I'm not supposed to know that 
I overheard your phone call because I'm technically not supposed to have told you that your house is exactly. bugged. Yeah. Okay. I'm 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 on the level now. I get it. Yeah. Anyway, um, at Patton's house, Patton explains that getting them out is going to be harder now that Hamadi has taken a bunch of his stuff and it's now probably all in custody or all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so they they might have to foot the bill. Mm-hmm. And he asks how many of them are going and where they're going. And Michael says that all four of them are going. And Fee is like, uh, don't be so sure. And then Michael goes to Sam and asks him if he's coming. And Sam says he's going to have to think about it. And that's how the episode ends. I mean, Sam... At this point, you're too far. You're in too deep. You can't pull out now. I mean, he could go somewhere different. I guess that's true. But, like, that just seems like pouting. Like, I there's mean, safety in numbers, right? I mean, I guess. Because Pat Oswald also, is also saying, like, am I smuggling all of you out of the country or just some of you? It's not yeah. like Sam's options are stay behind. Because, like... Well, no. But, like, I, they could go to different places. But then it, the cost would be the same. Like, they, they're acting like Sam is fully out. Well, yeah, but, like, once, if you go somewhere else, then it's, like, they're done. I don't know. It's it's confusing. I don't know. It's, like, yeah, he can't stay. Yeah, exactly. That's That was my point. It's, like, he yeah. can't stay. Well, I assume that since he can't stay, like, there were options other than going together. But those options wouldn't have carried over from the conversation they were having about price. I mean, that's true. I thought it was just badly written. <laughs> I thought maybe it was just a badly written scene. Anyway, enough about that. Let's talk about spy tips. Talking about badly written, (laughs) a lot of these are borderline. A lot of them are borderline. Okay. When you're a fugitive, you're a fugitive all the way. Um, (laughs) When you're a fugitive, it's tempting to flee the country and worry about details later, but also it's a great way to get caught. Since most countries now require biometric IDs, the first step of getting out of town is getting good documents. You can't just go somewhere new. You, you need to be someone new when you get there. And I don't know what biometric IDs are, but uh, I am, I now know that that's a thing that exists and I have to think about. I think it's like capturing biometric data, like fingerprints. Right. Like, but is that true? I haven't left the country in ever. Yeah, I haven't left in a while, but like it could be a photo of their face, a record of their voice, or an image of their fingerprint. Huh. A photo of their, everyone, every ID has a photo of your face on it. Yeah, I don't know what that means. I think it, but I do, th- I, I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, the last time I left the country was to Canada a couple of years ago for a work trip. And I do think I was fingerprinted. Right. So like that kind of thing. Yeah. All right. But have- I also think regardless of biometric ID stuff, I think it's fair to say like, d- similarly to last week where it's like, you know, the timing of escape. I think it's fair. It makes sense. Like, don't just get out of the country. Like, don't just get smuggled to Mexico. Like, unless you have IDs that yeah. can get you there, you're going to still be fucked, but now in a different country. Right. So you may as well, like, you know, get away right. Well, that makes sense. So you want to keep that one then? Yeah, I think so. All right, cool. Counterintelligence, broadly speaking, is the practice of spying on someone who's spying on you. With a little patience, you can learn a surprising amount about your enemies just by watching their own surveillance teams. It starts with carefully choosing who's at what location carefully when they're observing. It starts with carefully observing who's at what location when they're there and how often. Once you have a list of possible candidates, you cross-reference with people from other surveillance sites. If anybody shows up more than once, it's a safe bet that it's not just a coincidence. It's a lot easier to keep your secrets if you know who's after them. I wonder if this will come of something later. I don't know. Because, like, it feels like if Madeline's going to go take photos of people at Michael's apartment, that can't just mean nothing. It. 
I know, but it just felt like it was like a almost a red herring. Burnham doesn't do red herrings, though. That's true. That's not really the kind of show that it is. Regardless of how it worked in the episode, I think this is good advice. No, I agree. Like, I think, I don't know how it worked as plotting, but like, mm-hmm. yeah, as a spy tip, this is a good spy tip. Mm-hmm. And like finding the overlaps, like it's fair to say like that person's probably a supervisor. Exactly. So like narrows down who you want to really be paying attention to. Like, it's kind of a flaw of the episode that it doesn't do anything with it because it's a good spy tip. Yeah, it's too bad, but okay. Yeah. Fair enough. All right, so flashbang grenades may not be deadly, but if one goes off nearby, it can cause temporary blindness and hearing loss. The combination of those effects is enough to stun even the most hardened soldier. But if you can take cover in time to prevent uh, to protect your vision, you can still stay in the fight. You may not be able to hear your enemy, but if you can see him well enough to pursue him, then it's just a matter of not letting the ringing in your ears distract you from taking him down. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. That's solid. I wasn't sure if the tip was just don't look at a flash grenade. <laughs> I think it's more like if you have to like like you have to give up on the fact that you're gonna lose your hearing. Yeah. You know, it's like don't don't cover your ears if the only thing you can do is like react very quickly. It's like yeah. cover your eyes, protect your eyes, and you can continue. All right. So hey, we're doing good so we're far. We're trucking along. We're trucking along. Electroshock torture is a messy business. While most of the damage is internal, the electric arc that's created can burn anywhere from uh, 2,500 to 5,000 degrees. If you want to look like you've been tortured but aren't willing to hook yourself up to a car battery, a curling iron can create similar burns without the risk of stopping your heart. It's a good tip. It's a good tip. That's smart. All right. And I do like how, like, kind of kinky it is that Michael is tied to a chair and Fee is, like, gently burning him all over his body. I, I enjoy that, too. I like it when things are a little kinky. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Just for spice. <laughs> if you think someone might be following you, the temptation is to drive erratically. It may force the tail to reveal itself, but it also reveals you're on to them. A better approach is to drive very conservatively. Go below the speed limit and linger at stop signs. You won't win any fans on the road, but it'll help you... It'll help you lose your tail. If they think you're simply an overcautious driver, it'll catch them off guard when you suddenly take a risk. This is like one of those tips that I would have written down as a teenager and like think about all the time. It's interesting. I wasn't sure about this one because I feel like lots of times I include tips about tailing and every time you go, we've already had that tip. But this this is a specific one. But this one, one. felt specific. This I one agree. felt specific. I like how they're like, you lo- basically you lull them into a false sense of security and you don't alert them to the fact that you're onto them until the moment that you can get away. Right. And I, I think that's useful. No, I agree. That's why I put it there. Well, that's five, but mm-hmm. let's see if we can get one more. When planning an escape, patience is key. Someone without training might jump at the first chance to strike, but it's exactly the wrong time because that's when your enemy is most alert. In fact, the best time to make your move is after you've let plenty other opportunities go by. The other advantage of patience is it gives you a chance to find out if the situation has changed. It's sort of similar to the one before. It's just not about tailing. Exactly. I feel like there's not enough specifics here. I agree. It's like, wait for your moment. I'm like, it's fair. I appreciate that they're like, don't just I mean, escape like, right away. Because I mean, they you are kind of saying, wait, don't even wait for your moment. Wait for your third moment. Mm-hmm. And like, that could be something, but I don't know. But if we'd seen him do anything to prep for his moment other than like, 
palming a butter knife. Right. Maybe that would have been better. No. Yeah, but we don't. We yeah, it's like, one. remember that that episode where Fee, yeah, we get rid of this one. Uh, it has five, it's fine. But remember yeah. that episode where Fee is the protagonist? I think it was a Lisa Joy episode where she's like trying to escape pr- prison, <laughs> like right. being in prison in a house and she's got like this whole prep work for how her escape's gonna work and she like lures them in and also sends a smoke signal to the boys oh, and right, the whole yeah. thing. Like that's what I think of when I think of like a good escape tip. Right. It's yes. like using the the surroundings uh, like to your advantage. Right. Michael's palming a butter knife and it's like exactly. I guess he'll do some cool martial arts stuff, but that's not useful to me. No. You can't do cool martial arts stuff. No. All your martial arts stuff is really gawky. Yeah. It's all in my head. It is all in your head. In your head you know kung fu. But I know equals count ifs formulas in uh Excel, so I'm good for something. You sure do, baby. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> anyway, that's five <laughs> practical spy tips. Uh, was this episode, did they solve the problem with spycraft over violence? Yeah. Because they, they basically tricked the CIA into picking up a guy that was annoying them so that they that's can get true. out of the country. That's always fine. Mm-hmm. And they didn't shoot anyone. Yeah. The whole time, it was, again, like, people were shooting at them. They had to fake being tortured. They had to, like... <laughs> inject Patton Oswald with poison. No, totally. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. There was an alias this week. Was he memorable? I don't remember his name. That's also because I was only like half paying attention. No, I didn't watch this very late at night. I don't remember his name either. It's like... I have to... Oh, I need to make a note to go back because I gotta... It's like Stodden or Cod... It's like something like that. Yeah, some basic ass name. And like it seems like he... There wasn't a... There was a little bit of a voice, but it was also... He was kind of leaning on the fact that he's Michael Weston. Like Michael Weston was an interrogation specialist, wasn't he? At first, it's weird because I feel like the first scene, he's like real scaredy cat. Mm -hmm. But in... Like, the end, he's suddenly really Michael Weston. Yeah, and it wasn't even a thing where, like, in a Michael Horowitz episode where he has to, like, pretend to be incompetent, but, like, put ideas into the actually incompetent person's head. Right. It sort of just seemed like he was sort of half-assing it because he just wanted this to be over. Exactly. There was an alias, though, with a full name. There was an alias with a full name, but that is not... Does that count as a memorable alias? No, we've talked about this. We've definitely said no to aliases with full names. Okay. Yeah, no, no, this is not a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's just there wasn't enough specifics about it, either in voice, physicality, or details that add right. up to the alias. All right. Like, he was just Michael under a different name. Yeah. And he smells as sweet. <laughs> what do you think he smells like? Um... I don't know, probably like Old Spice, like a very classic, like just, yeah. he yeah. picks the f- most memorable thing off of the, like, shelves at CVS. That's, yeah. That's kind of my thought process as well. Uh, yeah, he look he probably looks like Yeah, it's like, like, like plain white dove soap. And, yeah. uh, you know, he doesn't fuss about it. No, he's not fussing about it. He's not like Axe Body Spraying or anything. Mm-mm. No. Yeah. I bet it's nice. He always, yeah, I bet he, it, it, it is nice. I, I bet he always smells like he just took a shower after working out. Yeah, that's probably what it is. Mm-hmm. Like a little bit wet, but with like the you know, with a cleanness to it. A clean, a clean wet. A cleanliness, a clean. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Weston smells like a smells with a clean wet. <laughs> oh, gross! Oh, he smells of clean wet. Please move us to the next stage of this. <laughs> I just want it to be over. <laughs> Sorry, hold on. 
<laughs> I know this is my fault. I know I said he smells like a clean wet. <laughs> or at least two sporting characters. <laughs> is this figure to blow something up? You got to do a better transition than that. All right. Are at least two supporting characters used well? Does Fika to blow something up? I don't know. If I think Fika she Fika meets with Madeline. She's she's once again she's kind of a very much support character. No, yeah, I don't think she gets to blow something up. And I think her scene not. with Madeline is good, but, but it's I, not. But I think that might be more of a Madeline. That's a Madeline thing, not a not yeah, a fee thing, not yeah. a fee thing. There. So no fee. Is Sam peace, peak Bruce Campbell in this one? Yeah, he does sit in a hot tub and sip a mojito mm-hmm. and like mourn about it, and he's yeah. pouting a lot about like losing Elsa. And yeah. he was talking about Antigua, and he's like insistent that Chuck Finley is You're right. His name. No, he definitely there, yeah. This one's a pretty peak Bruce Campbell episode. All right. So is Jesse a distinct addition rather than a redundancy? Well, he paid off a child. <laughs> his army of children. <laughs> And also his whole little story about, like, the crazy girl from Antigua. That's true. Michael's not telling that story. No, Michael apparently has that ex-fiance, but she proposed to him, and he's, like, so weird about it. God, I forgot about that. Do you remember that? I just remembered it recently. Oh, my God. (laughs) And do you remember that scene where they have to get into, like, clean room stuff, and they're, like, stripping in a locker room, and it's, like, so sexy, but, like, it's not at all, because this random woman is just here. Right. Oh my god, I forgot about that. That's the episode where he has that really, he gets really excited because he finds yogurt in the staff break room as they're like waiting to do their clean room horny time. Oh man, I kind of miss that. I do too. Oh man, the show is better, but I do miss a little bit when it was worse. <laughs> there are elements of it. It's like, you know, it, they, they've overcorrected in some ways. Right. Anyway, so Anyways, Jesse, I think he's I think he's yeah. a distinct addition. All right. Okay. He's distinctly Jesse in this episode. And Madeline. Genuine emotional moment with another character or gets to the case of the week. Technically both. Technically both. Because I think her scene with Fee was really lovely, really powerful. Yeah. And I liked I liked kind of the thing that you were mentioning where she, yeah. you thought she was going to say, like, don't, um, don't let Michael leave without saying goodbye. But it's between them. Yeah. Like, she's made her peace with Michael and, like. Mm-hmm. And now she's like, and Fee, the daughter that hopefully someday I will have. All right. <laughs> Uh, but yeah. So, yeah, so that's uh, everyone but that, Fee was used well. Yeah, so that is officially a great episode of Burn Notice. Now, was this a great episode of television? I mean, no. Now, was there any yogurt? I don't think no, there, there was. No, there was no yogurt. It's been it's been a while since we got a yogurt. I don't know if we've were there only four yogurts in this whole season so far. Uh, yeah, there's wow. only been four yogurts this entire season. Well, they've spent a yeah, it's been seven episodes. Since. That's true. You don't have a lot of time. They've been on the run. They've been doing. Yeah, stuff. they were in Panama. Then they were escaping Panama. Yeah, they. This has been an on the go season. Not a lot of time to stop and grab a yogurt. But like, it feels like they could have done it at like Pat Oswalt's house, right? No, totally. Like. Yeah. He could have been like, all right, so now this is our base camp. Hey, Patton, you got any yogurt? You know? If this was Psych, it would have been. It, like, Psych would have just, like, pulled a pineapple out of thin air and been like, well, luckily I brought a snack for the road. A show that was, like, halfway between Psych and Burnettis would have been great. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's leverage, right? It's just leverage. Yeah, it's leverage. Yeah? I always forget about leverage. Yeah. Even though it's a very objectively good show, and I will probably watch it in its in its entirety at least three more times before I die. <sighs> You're banking on not dying, huh? 
<laughs> We're going to watch it in like a couple of months. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Because that's going to be a bonus episode. That's going to be a post-season seven bonus episode. It's like, I think that's going to be our post-season seven bonus episode along with our breaking an episode. Right. Yeah. And those will be our final two episodes of Burn Notice. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. We're so close to the end. We're so close to the end. And no. we're so close to the end of this episode. No, we sure are. So yeah, so this is not a great episode of television. But it's a it was a pretty good one. It was solid, yeah. Yeah, it was a solid episode. I had fun with it. There were some good moments in it. Yeah, it was a solid episode, even if it wasn't a gas. Mm-hmm. And so with that, there's nothing left to, except to say thank you to Vincent E.L. for our theme music. Uh, you can find more from Vincent at vincentel.bandcamp.com. And bye. Lisa Joy was 50-50 in her tenure at Burnout. She wrote four total solo episodes. Half were great episodes of television. Half were just episodes of television. Not bad. 